don't know if you noticed on some of the streaming services uh, like Amazon or Netflix that when you're binge watching a show, you have this option uh, when you begin a new episode to skip the intro. Isn't that a wonderful option? You know, be, just move on to the episode. Well, this morning I kind of want to move in the same direction. Uh, we're just going to skip the intro and we're going to jump in. We're in the middle of a five-week series. We're, we're actually in week two, and we're looking at Psalm 104, 105, and 106. And so we jump right in. Here is what we said is happening in these three psalms. These three psalms make up a three-part song that tells about God's greatness in creation, His faithfulness to His people, the wickedness of their rebellion, and the hope of salvation. That's what's happening in those three psalms. It's a three-part song. And it comes right up against the end. It's right at the end of book four in the Psalter, the Israel's songbook. It's made up of five books. This is at the end of book four, Psalm 104, 105, and 106. And it's telling the story of Israel. The reason we're doing this series is because I'm interested in how Israel tells how Israel told their story, how they sang about their story. It's something that Jesus would have been very aware of. Jesus would have had this songbook. He would have been singing the story of Israel. And I think it has a lot to teach us about how we as Christians sing our songs. So that's where we go this week. Uh, we step into the next part of this three-part song. Last week we looked at Psalm 104, and that was all about the Lord as creator and sustainer. And there were a lot of ways to talk about God as creator and sustainer. Now this week we move to this next to, to the next section of Israel's story. But before we get there, I want to just give us some backstory. So you do, you have God as creator and sustainer, and that kind of places us in Genesis 1 and 2. But if you have read the beginning of the Bible, it doesn't take long to get to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, humans rebel. You have a serpent in the perfect garden, tempting Adam and Eve, and in the end, they rebel, taking hold of what is right and wrong in their eyes, and in the end, they are exiled out uh, of the garden. And that's where humans have existed. We have been exiled. And that really has been the human experience. And it doesn't take long to get to Genesis 4, where you see the first murder. A brother killing another one. It just doesn't take long from the moment humans rebel to, to, a, to a, a murder. And the, humans, the human experience, the, the human history just continues to spiral downward. You go through the history of the flood, Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, and you see that God is going to bring back a new people through the line of Noah. But even He messes it up. And then you get to Genesis 12. And we read that God chose one man. And through that one man and his family, he is going to bless the whole world. This is a foundational promise. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We've got to start here, and then we move to Psalm 105. Here it is. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
This promise is the bedrock moving forward for the rest of the Old Testament, even moving into the New Testament. And so when we get to Psalm 105, it is a reflection on how God not only made this promise to Abraham, but how God has been keeping it over and over and over. So the theme for Psalm 105 is this. Uh, We'll go back one slide. The theme is the Lord is faithful and he keeps his promises. And it is particularly related to that promise he gave to Abraham. After, after humanity had just spiraled down, finally God's going to do something through this one man, this man Abraham, who God has now called, given him a promise, and he's going to make sure he keeps that promise. And so Psalm 105 is a long reflection on the Lord's faithfulness and how he keeps his promises. Now, as I told you before and as you experienced last week, I'm a big fan of reading big chunks of Scripture. And so we're literally going to read every verse of Psalm 105. But before we do, let's give it, let's give it an outline. Here it is. We're going to start with the Lord should be praised. And I know this will be this, this four-verse reflection on God keeping His promises. Then, then what's going to happen is the psalmist is going to, is going to be, is going to sing then about these different ways God has done that very thing he talks about in verse 8 and 11. He's going to, he protects his people when they're vulnerable. He used Joseph to save them from famine. He appointed Moses to rescue them out of Egypt. And he provided for his people in the desert. And then, just to make sure we don't miss the point, we don't miss that key note in the song, we're going to return back to what we might call the chorus. He keeps His promises. That's how Psalm 105 ends. It's a long reflection on God as faithful. So let's jump in. Psalm 105. Psalm 105. We start as each one of these starts, giving praise to the Lord. Here it is. He should be praised. Verse 1. Here's where we start. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell of all of His wonderful acts, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength, seek His face always. Remember His wonder, the wonders He has done, His miracles and the judgments He has pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. He keeps judgments. His judgments are in all the earth. Now, let's talk about the promises. Verses 8 through 11. He keeps his promises. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. Now we're going to move on now to, uh, in the song, to all these different ways God's actually done that. So he protects his people when they're vulnerable. Verse 12. When they were but few in number, few indeed, And strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Ah, Let's go move to Joseph now. He used Joseph to save them from famine. He called down famine on the land and he destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. 
And they bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. So what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach the elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful. And he made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people to conspire against his servants. Now Moses shows up. He appointed Moses to rescue them out of Egypt. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, Aaron, whom he had chosen, and they performed his signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness, and he made the land dark. For, they, for, had, they not, for had they not rebelled against his words, he turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of their rulers. He spoke, and they came, swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. And he turned their rain into hail with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and figs, and he shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. And they ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil. Then he struck down all the firstborn in the land, the firstfruits of all their manhood. And he brought out Egypt laden with silver and gold from among their tribes, no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because a dread of Israel had fallen on them. And now they've left, so now they're in the desert. Here we sing now, verses 39-41, through 41, God, the Lord provides for them in the desert. Verse 39, He spread out a cloud as a covering, a fire to give light at night, and they asked, and he brought them quail. He fed them well with the bread of heaven, and he opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. And now we return to end the song. Verses 42 through 45, he keeps his promises. When he remembered his holy promise given to Abraham, he brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. It's, just, it's a story. They tell the story. They tell their story. They tell the story of God's faithfulness. And the rock of the whole song is that God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a promise. And that promise he would make sure would get fulfilled. So what happens when a famine hits the land? Don't you worry. God had a plan. What happens when the people of Egypt turn against His people and they're at the threat of being eliminated? Ah, God had a plan. He would not give up on His promise. What happens when they enter a desert? No one wants to travel through a desert without resources. God was there giving them everything He needed. God was faithful to the promise to Abraham. That's the key. Now, if we fast forward that song to the New Testament, if we get that up through Jesus, what we find is that all that, all those promises, that foundational covenant with Abraham, it gets fulfilled in Christ. All those promises, all the blessing that would come to all peoples of the earth would finally find its fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. Now, I'm not making that up. Paul's very clear about this. Look at Galatians 3.16 when he writes this. 
the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. See, when Israel sang their song, Psalm 105, they could only see so far. But what we see in retrospect is that that promise that God was keeping as He brought them out of Egypt, as He, as he provided for them in the desert, it gets, it gets uh, fast-forwarded all the way through to the one person, Christ. God never gave up on the promise. He was faithful. Now, just in case we just don't get it, 2 Corinthians 1, first part of verse 20, Paul says that about as clear as he's going to get. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They're not yes in how good you are. They're not yes in how many times you come to church. They are yes in Christ. And so, what does that mean for Christians? And here's what I think. Here's how I think it. Here's what I think the what it means for us. I think we as Christians now sing this about the same faithfulness that Israel sang about in Psalm 105, but we sing in the light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're still singing the same song. We've just we've added some pieces, we've added verses to the song, but we're still singing about the same faithfulness. God keeps his promises. And and so here's here's a verse I think we've added to the song. I think it's probably a favorite of many of you. Romans 8. Romans 8, 38 through 39. I think this is part of our song now. Paul says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can he be so confident? Because Paul knows that the God who gave the promise to Abraham to bless all peoples through his seed, the seed of Abraham, he actually did it. He did it through Christ. Even in the midst of every obstacle, God accomplished his promise. And so you can be sure of this. There's nothing going to separate you from the love of Christ. The love of Christ that is that represents His faithfulness, the faithfulness to His promises. You can guarantee that nothing will separate you from His faithfulness. You're locked in. That's a really good thing. As long as you are walking in step with Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Because God is faithful. And I'm so glad it is all about God. Not about me. In our adult Bible study we have before service, we, we read a section of a book uh, where the author says, uh, talks about how important it is to realize that our salvation is completely rooted in God and not in us. And he, he said this, he said, that if salvation was 99% dependent on God and 1% on us, we would find a way to mess up that 1%. Isn't that true? Man, I'd find a way. I would find a way to mess up that 1%. Because I find ways of messing up all kinds of things. And so this is the thing I want to make sure is very clear. So if you allow me, go on just a quick journey to make sure that we understand that everything we're talking about at this point is all about God. It is about God's faithfulness, not how good you are or how faithful you might be. 
when God made that promise to Abraham, it was God that was at the center. He made the promise. He kept the promise. Nowhere in the story of Genesis do we ever read anything about the goodness of Abraham earning the promise of Genesis 12. It was God who initiated it. Abraham didn't go looking. It was God who started the covenant. Paul makes this clear, and I want to make sure we understand that what we're talking about today is all about God and His faithfulness. So we want to elevate and make sure we see God and His faithfulness, particularly in the glory of Christ, first and foremost. This is not about Abraham earning something. Check out Romans chapter 4, verse 2-3. through Paul says this, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you know why Abraham had something to believe? Because God had moved first. And Abraham then trusted. He didn't go about earning something. It was God who moved. God who made the covenant. And then Abraham came along in belief. A fruit from God moving first. Do you see who gets all the praise here? God gets the praise. And Paul makes it very clear. If Abraham had done anything, then Abraham could go about boasting. Man, I nailed that 1%. Did you see how I nailed that 1%? I did it perfect. That's what he could say. But it is God who made the promise. God who kept it. Abraham believed, and then God credited it to him as righteousness. You know, that is our, that's, that same story plays out in every believer. Just one chapter later, here's what Paul says about all of us. Romans 5. 6-8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you are dead, you have nothing to bring, no goodness to bring. But even when dead, Christ died. Who made the move? God made the move. He was keeping that fundamental promise that He made to Abraham, that through Abraham He would bless all peoples. And we know that that promise is yes in Christ. And Christ came while you and I were still dead in our sins. You know, you see who this elevates. It elevates God. We don't walk out of this sermon going, man, I'm kind of doing a pretty good job. Like, I'm a pretty good person. No! You were dead and Christ came. Now let's not move into a pity party here. This is not a moment for us to say, woe is me. Because you know what happens when we say, woe is me, over and over and over and over? Do you know who becomes the center of your world? Me. That's just another version of making me the most important thing in the world. Does that mean there isn't hard times? No, that's not what I'm saying. Does it mean that you can't, you can't have moments where you're struggling inside, internally? Does this mean there isn't anything such as depression? No, that's not what any of this means. But it means at the end of the day, we cannot live in a place where we are saturated with self-loathing. Because in the end, it was not something good in us. It was something good in God. And God came in His faithfulness. That's what we see. So let me summarize it all here before we jump into application. The focus of every Christian song, that's your song, mine, is God's faithfulness in Christ. We didn't earn anything. He is faithful because that is who He is. 
That's a really a good place for us to be. It doesn't mean we're not valuable. It doesn't mean we weren't created in the image of God. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means in the end, we better be careful not to think we've earned something. This song, Psalm 105, this section of this three-part song, it's all about God and His faithfulness. He made it, He kept it, and He will always keep it. That's really good news for us. So what's the application for us? Like, how do you get this on the ground in the 21st century? Let me get, make a stab at it right here. I think that we need a message of God's faithfulness. We need this message because the world is fickle and unreliable. And I think all of us can, you know, we can say amen to that. Uh, You may think your body is healthy and rocking until you get a cancer diagnosis and you die in two years. That's fickleness. That's instability. We might think everything's good and great, careers rocking, and then something like COVID hits and you lose everything. Or you think that buying up rental properties and houses and the housing market booming and then a 2008 hits. The world is a fickle place. Now, those are really concrete, right? Those are concrete. But I think there's something else going on. Now, you know, often I'm trying to pull something that is relevant for us. I, I, I think God's Word is relevant because it's God's Word. And it gives us knowledge about reality. But I always have the job of having to identify some things that maybe we can relate to. And I think this one coming up, don't put the slide up first. I really want to build to it. Um, I think this one is more psychological in some ways for us. There's this sense in our culture that, that, that some things are stable and then we get news that they're not. But they're not necessarily that you lose your job. Uh, they're not necessarily that uh, a spouse has walked out. There, there, there aren't, though, it's not that. It, it's something coming through the news, something often we are, we are ingesting through the constant feed of Instagram or Facebook or the evening news. It's this sense that, it's this sense that we thought something was stable and then it's not. And I think what we're finding today is that sense is emerging particularly in the way we talk. The, 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 the issues that we think are important and if we say something or don't say something, there's this sense that if you say the wrong thing, you'll be canceled. You may think that Facebook is a neutral platform until you say the wrong thing and you're gone. Or you think that the workplace is a safe environment and you can bring up a, 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 uh, a variety of different issues until you bring up an issue that's not allowed on the table. And you are considered a bigot and canceled. I think this thing we call cancel culture has really thrown a lot of us into angst because there's this sense that we really don't know what's, what can we say and what can't we say because where we might have been able to say something a year ago, now if we say something, we'll be called racist. Or if we say this thing, we'll be, we'll be called a diversity insensitive. There's this sense that the ground is shifting under our feet and we don't even know how to handle it. Now, if you're not familiar with cancel culture, I just went to pop culture dictionary. It really did a good job of summarizing it. Here's the definition for cancel culture. It refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for public figures 
And companies, after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive, and it's generally discussed as being performed on social media in, term, in the form of group shaming. I'm highlighting cancel culture for this reason, not to make a, particular, a political statement here. No matter what side you might fall here on cancel culture, there is no doubt a pervasive and a psychological sense that things are unstable right now. Now, the world is always unstable. It just so happens that because we have the world at our fingertips, we have access to networks of people all the time through social media and news outlets, that there is a constant sense that things are unstable. Things can move and shift at any moment. I've heard stories of people being in a meeting at work. They bring up an issue. An issue that two years ago would really not have been an issue. Just let's make sure that we get all sides and immediately they are branded, shamed, and out. For a person that has been part of a company for years to walk into a meeting like they've walked into a meeting for years and then be called a name, a, a pejorative, like something negative, and then removed or reprimanded, it's very unstable. And we have this thing called cancel culture now. Listen, in five years, we probably won't even remember what that is. We have very short memories in America. But my point is that there is a pervasive sense in our world that things are unstable. And you know what I say about that? You're right. You're exactly right. Cancel culture is really bringing up, it is highlighting something that just happens to be the way of the world. If it wasn't cancel culture, it would be something else. Do you think... Do you think spouses cheating on their on another uh, spouses cheating is a new thing? No. People have been feeling instability in marriages for a long time. Do you think adult children have always followed the way of their parents? Yeah, right. No. Children always give you the sense of instability. You don't know which way they're going to go. I and I have a sense, although mine have not got there, that's going to be more true when they're adults than any other time because I can't control them anymore. There's always a sense of instability. Right now, I feel healthy, but next week, I may have something emerge and find out I have cancer. I feel great. Listen, cancel culture is not a new thing. It just happens to be a thing that is a little more pervasive, particularly in popular culture. That's why I highlight it. But the idea that we can ever get to a point where culture is ever going to be stable, well, that's just an illusion. It's never going to get there. There will always be people who don't like Christmas at Christmas. We may get to a point where someone outlaws it. I don't know. That's the way of this world. It's fickle. Relationships can be fickle. Companies can be fickle. Churches can be fickle. Things are unstable in our world. So what I want to drive us to in all of it is this is the reason we need the message of God's faithfulness. Because if you're going to land on anything, you land on His faithfulness. I get cancer. You know the thing I'm going to? That in the end, all will be well. Because God's faithful. Now, if you don't have that, you don't got a lot to hold on to. You land on God's faithfulness. That's the only thing in Scripture that we have guarantee. Is His faithfulness. It is His character. I can tell you what's a guarantee in our world. Instability. And so what I want to do is drive home that if there's any illusion that you think you can land stable in this world, that's an illusion. But God's faithfulness, not an illusion. Enjoy your job this week. 
Enjoy your health if you have it. Enjoy your relationships. But do not worship them because they are unstable. Get first things first. God's faithfulness. And then from there, everything else flows. All right. So let me just drive this into a next step. This is a ne- a, the kind of next step we typically don't do, but it's a little work on your end. Here it is. Memorize Psalm 105.8. And that verse says, He remembers His covenant forever. It should be an R. Um, we'll blame... Not me. <laughs> um, blame someone else. Um, he remembers His covenant forever. The promise He made for a thousand generations. Memorize that verse. Three parts to that verse. Memorize that. Now, I'm not saying do it like right now. But memorize that verse this week in whatever translation you want. Here's the point of memorizing a verse. This week, if you're a social media junkie, I can guarantee you at some point in your news feed, you will hear about someone being canceled and it might frustrate you. That's when I want this verse popping up. This is the moment I want that verse. But God is forever faithful. That's when that, You keep that right there at the front. The moment you hear about another relationship falling apart or a child hurting your feelings or then, then someone backstabbing you, it doesn't matter. Just whatever it is, the moment you see or feel instability, you bring God's Word right back up and you say, but God, He remembers His covenant. He is faithful to His promise for a thousand generations. And you know all of that is in Christ. So what we're doing is we're using Scripture at the front of our minds to counter that sense of instability we feel. Be it counterculture, feel it in your family, whatever it is, that moment where you feel it, sense it, boom, Scripture comes and reminds you. But He is faithful. He is faithful. And I'll let you experience the fruit of that. You can't beat, you cannot beat having God's faithfulness put back in front of your mind. Over over. And you just can't substitute memorizing this verse. You can't substitute. Some things you have to work at. So here's just one verse. So we remember this morning He is faithful. And thank goodness He is. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thanks for the songbook of Israel where they rehearse and they sing the story of Your promise to Abraham and how you kept it all the way through the desert out of the Exodus. And now this morning as a body of believers we declare you are faithful. You are faithful in Christ. And you are glorious. You initiated the promise. You have kept the promise. And now we respond in faith. We believe and you now credit to us as righteousness. And we live in that good news. This week Would you calm our unsettled spirits wherever they might emerge and may we remember that you are faithful to the covenant. You keep your promises to a thousand generations. And for all those in Christ, there's no need to fear. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Make it all real for us, particularly as we put your word in our heart. And we pray that in the name of him who saved us and him who will glorify us. Jesus the Christ. And together we say, Amen.